Hello, I'm Brian Rimplainen. In my youth, I had uh, felt the Lord's presence in my life. Uh, in 1990, I joined the military, and in the span of 10 years, I completed five missions. Uh, one to Cyprus, three to Bosnia, and Eritrea, Ethiopia. I went down the wrong path in my life and away from God, and I was lost until I met my wife, Heather. Uh, she helped me to know him again, and as my family, we uh, came to Crosspoint in 2012, where we felt at home. Uh, we were posted to Ontario in 2013, uh, but we could not find uh, the peace that we had before. It was there that I spiraled to a crisis point and I was given a medical category with employment limitations and we were granted an exemption to return back to New Brunswick. My wife supports me with great love and compassion and although I continued to struggle, the Lord's presence revealed itself again. A relapse of my condition in August of 2016 uh, led me to a dark place of suicidal ideation and I was uh, admitted to the hospital for two weeks. Finally, after years of struggle, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Bayes Padres had uh, brought me a Bible and Psalm 91, which gave me strength. Mark also came to pray with me and pray over my family so that we would have time to rest and heal. God has shown that he is beside me even in my darkest of times. His presence surrounds me and lifts me up. Uh, as my military career ends, I lay myself at his feet, bare, redeemed, and allowing his will to guide me forward. church today. It has been good to be in church today. And uh, I, I made sure to watch those videos before I got up on stage this time. I have not done that in the past. And I knew that I, I was like, I'm going to get up here and be like, well, good to Crosspoint. So it's good. And uh, glad that you are here with us today. Shout out to everyone at our South Campus who's in church watching with us today. And uh, we're actually, we're really looking forward to the day when we can have baptisms at our South Campus location. Um, there are some cool, portable, baptismal tanks that you can get so that you can baptize people at a movie theater. And uh, I can't wait for the day when we get to ask the manager, hey, can we borrow 100 gallons of water? <laughs> and like, we'll give it back when we're done. What, are you can use it to make ice cubes or something. I don't know. Holy, holy water. That's probably blasphemous. 
on that note, let's, let's preach. Um, welcome to week two of our series on Yahweh. We're talking about the names of God. And last week we talked about how God himself calls himself, I am. It is Yahweh. It is the name that is this all-encompassing, unfathomable, name above all names, Lord of all lords, name. And it it just kind of covers everything. It was unspeakable. It was unpronounceable because God is so big and so holy. And so we kind of started by talking about the name Yahweh. But as we kind of progress throughout the week, throughout the series, we're going to talk about more specific kind of singular names. We're going to narrow it in. So the equivalent would be like, hi, I'm Mark. Last week would have been, hi, I'm Mark, a father and a husband and a son and a brother and a pastor and a, and, and a whatever. This week is going to be more of the, hi, we're narrowing in, I'm Mark, the father. Or Mark, a son. Mark, the whole, no, that's also blasphemy. Which <laughs> So we're narrowing in. And just talking about singular names. And so I'm really excited. The name we're talking about tonight is the name that God gives himself. And he says, I am God, a redeemer. I am a God of redemption. And I'm really excited for us to talk about that today. Um, It might not mean a lot to you to say that. God is a God who redeems because maybe we don't really know what that word means. Or at least how it equates biblically to who God is, because the way that we use the word redeems nowadays, they're all really boring, right? The way we use redemption today would be like when you trade in empty pop bottles and you get money, right? I hand someone an empty two liter bottle of pop and they will give me a nickel. Yay. Is that ever, have you ever just thought like not worth it? Not worth it, right? Like, hold on, you're going to make me keep all of these in my home. They take up a lot of space. I got to make room for them. And then someday I got to load them into my vehicle. I've got to drive them to a place. I've got to wait in line and then I've got to unload them. And you're going to give me nickels? Right, so I always love it when people are raising money for things and they need bottles. Cause I'm like, yes, please come take them. It's a win-win. You, you get nickels and I don't feel bad for being lazy. And so it's great. It's a good trade-off. Um, We call that redemption. We actually call those redemption centers. Empty bottles. I feel like there's a better title. You you could call churches redemption centers. Really. We talk about redemption even in this, like with lottery tickets, hypothetically, if you had a lottery ticket and and you, you scratched it and you want 20 bucks and you took it to the store, you're handing them what? Garbage. You're handing them a piece of paper. It's worthless, but you're gonna get cash. That's how we use the word redemption. There's other ways that we use it. Uh, Sometimes we talk about redemption like it's a a restoration. It's taking things and and giving them new life again. It's giving them birth again, really. It's it's like finding an old beat-up piece of furniture, an old beat-up dining room table in the dump, and you take it home, and you sand it down, and you restain it, and you put new hardware together, and, and it's just this awesome new table. You had something that someone said was garbage. You took something that someone thought was worthless, and, and you gave it new life. It was new again, which is an oxymoron, but still true. That's what redemption is. We use it in other ways. Sometimes we talk about redemption. We, we say things about people, we, like a certain quality, like that is their redeeming quality. 
As if to say, their sole redeeming quality, that's the one nice thing about them that's supposed to offset all of the not nice things about them. Um, I, I always remember back in high school, there was this one guy that all the girls wanted to date because he had sweet hair. True story. This guy had Beverly Hills 90210 hair. You know, here's a good throwback. Brandon Walsh hair with the wave, with the sideburns. It was great. Seven of you know what I'm talking about. I had sideburns for years. It was awful. What a stage. And, but this guy, he was, he was actually a bit of a jerk. He was mean. And I know that's what all the other guys in high school thought. Like the, the guy that all the girls want was always a bit of a jerk, right? But, but we would say like that was his one redeeming quality. There wasn't anything else good about him, but he had good hair and that was enough for some people. I'm not saying that's the right way to use the word or even a nice way to use the word, but that's how we talk about redemption. So there it is. Pop bottles, lottery tickets, beat up pieces of furniture, and jerks with sideburns. <laughs> is there any wonder why when we say today, God is a God who redeems, very few of us are like, yes, Lord, because that's, that's how we picture the word. We, we have greatly undersold the word redemption, if that's what you think of. And so we want to talk about redemption. We want to talk about how God is a redeemer in the most powerful, beautiful, biblical way. I want to redeem the word redemption. So that when we think about it, we think about the best part of redemption. Because redemption is all through scripture. God calling himself as a redeemer is all through scripture. We see this in Psalm 19.14. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it was David who wrote this. And, and it was David who said, God has redeemed me somehow. He took something in my story, reclaimed it, restored it, and, and redeemed me. So it's a personal thing. God can do it for you personally. And then we've got Psalm 130. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. So this time, he's actually redeeming an entire nation. So there's this part of God that also can redeem corporately or, or for an entire family. So it's something that's for you, but it's also something that's for all of us. God is a redeemer. I love the verse that says he's overflowing with it. Like he's just so full of redemption that he can't even help but be a redeemer. He doesn't, he doesn't even have to try to be a redeemer. It's just pouring out of him at every opportunity. He's a God who redeems. So it's clear that this is something that he does. It's clear that this is someone who he is, but, but what does it look like? What does it look like for God to redeem you and I? What does it look like when God is redeeming? Well, it's actually similar to all the ways we just talked about. When, when you take something that you think is, is garbage or worthless or, or difficult, and you actually get something better in return. See, that is how God still redeems. That is exactly what God does. Redemption is when you're given something that is difficult and painful, and God says, watch me turn that around and, and turn it into something beautiful and incredible. That's what redemption is. It's when you're going through a difficult time that seems like a curse, and God transforms it into something that seems like a blessing. It's when you're going through a difficult, painful season and, and you've lost all hope and God turns it around and he somehow uses it in your favor so that you're better off after that happened than, than you would have been without it having happened. That is redemption. 
That's how God redeems. God is a redeemer. It, it's a God who can take an 11-year-old girl who loses her dad and she goes through intense grief and pain and yet on the other end of it can still say, God is good. Amen. And I love, that is only a God who can redeem. Only a God who can take your worst moment and turn it around and still bring something good out of it. It's redemption. In fact, we just read that, Psalm 1914, that was written by David. It was David who declared that God would his redeemer. Now think about David's life for a minute. Right? David was a guy who had it all when he was young. He, he was named the future king. He, he went to fame when he, when he defeated the giant no one else could defeat. He was a strategic military conqueror. He had all kinds of victories. I mean, everything was going in David's favor. He had life right where he wanted it, and then it all came crashing down. See, David did a dumb thing, and he had an affair with the wife of one of his own soldiers. He was off at war. David didn't go. Stayed home, got cozy with this man's wife. Her name was Bathsheba, and uh, she ended up pregnant. David ended up paranoid. He, he was hurt and confused, and it was an awful situation. He tries to hide everything that happened, ends up killing her husband on the battlefield. Like, it just gets uglier and uglier. Eventually, that child is born and dies moments after childbirth. I mean, it all comes crashing down for David. He loses everything. And the pain and the grief and the heartache was unbearable. And you even think, like, as a king, his reputation is gone. He's lost the trust of his people. And it has long-term repercussions that goes on to his kids. And it, it's just a brutal, painful... I mean, we have ugly political scandals today. CNN was loving that back in 1040 BC. Like, it was, it was a big deal. And yet, even when it seems like that story is over, like there's no way David recovers from that, there's no way David rebounds, not without the help of a whole bunch of lawyers and a PR team and Olivia Pope and crisis management people and, and whoever else. Like He's going to have to get a lot of people who can help him come back from this. And yet, and yet it doesn't take any of that. He actually gets a pastoral visit from a friend, a priest named Nathan. And after that conversation, David humbles himself before God, confesses all of his sin. He becomes a broken man, asks God to do whatever it is you need to do to me. And God takes that messed old guy out of the dump and he starts sanding him down again, starts refining him, starts restaining him, and he hands David back a life that is restored. In fact, this is what we read about David at the end of his life. First Chronicles 29, verse 26 said, David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. And his son Solomon succeeded him as king. That doesn't sound like a life that ends in disaster. In fact, it says he ended his life with honor, that, that he was a really good king that there was joy, that there was wealth. In fact, his son follows him up. Is like Everything kind of comes together for Dave. He, he recovers from this somehow. I mean, that in and of itself is a good story of redemption, but it actually even gets better than that. See, David and Bathsheba stay married, and they have a child, and then they have another child, and that child has a child, and that child has a child, and that child has a child, all the way down until there's one child of theirs in particular who ends up having a child. All the way down the line, his name is Jesus. 
The same Jesus who was the Messiah, Savior of the world, died on a cross, walked out of the grave to give salvation to all of mankind. The same Jesus we're here worshiping 2,017 years later. See, the David of scandal and pain and suffering is the same David who is the ancestor of the Savior of all mankind. That is a story of redemption. That is a story of a man losing it all and being on the brink of the very end and God saying, watch what I do with this. Watch how I can turn this around and use it for good. That's what it means that God is a redeemer. He redeems things. He's a God who takes the garbage that we've been given, maybe the garbage that we have made ourselves, and he says, watch me turn this into something beautiful. He's a God who takes a dead end and he gives it a future. He's a God who takes a loss and turns it into a gain. He's a God who takes our pain and suffering and he turns it into joy. That's who God is. In fact, when Isaiah was prophesying that the Messiah was coming, it, he, the Messiah was talked about in, in a redemptive way. Like this is going to be the guy who turns things around for everyone. We read this in Isaiah 61. Look at all these pictures of redemption. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Do you see all the pictures of redemption in there? Good news for the freedom, release for the prisoners, that there's not going to be any more slavery for the captives. There's going to be joy instead of despair. He says, I'm going to take your ashes and I'm going to give you beauty instead. It's like you take these ashes to a redemption center and watch what you get in return. I mean, ashes, ashes are what you get when everything burns to the ground in front of you. That's what you're left with. When your hopes, when your dreams, when your plans go up in smoke and all that's left is this little pile. When all of your expectations, when your perfect life blows to smithereens and all that's left is you're sweeping up this little pile of ash on the floor and you're like, really God, this is it, eh? This is how my life is going to go. This is the thing you had set out for me. And God says, hand me those ashes and watch me. Watch me turn it around. Watch me make something beautiful out of that. I mean, isn't that so many of our stories? I mean, how many people here could say that there have been times in my life where something that I loved, something that was important to me, went up in flames? And all I had left was a handful of ashes. And yet God turned it around. It was God who transformed it. I don't know what it's been for you. I don't know if it was a broken marriage. I don't know if it was a lost job. I don't know if it was financial distress. I don't, I don't know if it was an injury or a sickness. I don't know if it was something with your kids or your parents or, or a spouse. You name it, whatever it's been for you, you were convinced that in the middle of this disaster, you were surrounded by flames, that everything that was important to you was going to disappear. It was going to be gone. You didn't know where you were going to pick up. It's only going to go downhill from here. And God said, I am a God who 
who redeems all things. And just watch and see. The story is not done. It's not over yet. It might seem like it is in the middle of fire. It might seem like it is when you've lost everything. But God isn't done working. And he is still redeeming. And, and, and you can see in those moments, all of a sudden God puts a person in, in your life that wasn't going to be there otherwise. He gives you a new relationship that you would have missed out on had you not gone through that. He gives you a job that you wouldn't have been freed up to take. He gives you an opportunity that wasn't going to be there. He, he gives you strength and wisdom that you weren't going to have internally had you not gone through that hard time. He says, watch me put all this stuff in your path that you wouldn't have had had you not gone through fire. The most beautiful things you have in your life, you might not have had them had you been of, of missed out on a painful circumstance. Amen. He is a God who redeems all things for his people. And that, listen, that's not a rare occasion. I don't want you to think those are only a few powerful stories. That only happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me. No, it happens for you. This is a biblical promise that God redeems. It is a promise for you. This is Romans 8.28. And it says, And we know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We know it. We know that he's causing everything. That, that there's not an inch of your life that he is incapable of redeeming. There is not this dark corner that you could turn where he's like, no, nah, that's out of my boundary zone. I, I couldn't go in there. There's, he's working everything in your life together for your good and your purpose and your favor and your future and your relationships and your marriage. and your. He's working all of it together for you. Amen. Right now in this moment, he is a God of redemption. I mean, it's a promise. Now it says it's a promise for God's people. It's a promise for his family. And there are people maybe who are outside God's family. You hear people in the world look at these circumstances and they all say things like, oh, the universe brought it together for me. Oh, the universe is working in my favor. Mother nature, my horoscope, my fortune cookie. Oh, it's just great news. No, 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 no. We have way better than a fortune cookie or stars in the sky. We have the almighty Yahweh, I am God of the universe, working everything in our lives in your favor. He is a God of redemption. He's working it out. Wherever he is in your life, he's working it out. That job you just lost, he's working it out. That relationship that just ended, he's working it out. Your financial distress right now, he's working it out. Your health difficulties right now, he's working it out. The, the relationship you have with your kids that's broken right now, he's working it out. With your parents right now, he's working it out. With your spouse, he's working, he's working it out. I want us all to stay on the count of three. He's working it out. You ready? One, two, three. He's working it out. Do you believe it? He's working it out. I mean, Joseph believed it. I mean, Joseph was a guy in the Old Testament. He did not have a good first half of his life. His brothers were jealous of him. They threw him in a pit one day and sold him into slavery. You thought your sibling rivalry was heated. 
and strangers roll up one day, throw him into a car, exchange him for some cash, drive him off to who knows where, with who knows who, and he grows up in slavery. I mean, just the worst pain of, of betrayal and hurt and heartache and loss, any hope he had for his future was gone. And even in slavery, when he finally tries to make some headway, when he finally gets things working out in his own life, he ends up being falsely accused. And he gets thrown into prison. It goes from bad to worse. I mean, this, this is a difficult, like, this is not what any kid wants to grow up to become. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to become someone who's enslaved and imprisoned and has a tarnished reputation. That would be perfect. And yet that's Joseph's life. And yet, because God is a God of redemption... God is always working in all of those moments. And through kind of a tangled, twisted story, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture, God takes Joseph, gets him out of prison, puts him in a place of power, and, and promotes him and promotes him and promotes him, eventually becomes one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. And he actually ends up helping the entire nation of Egypt avoid an impending famine. He fills storehouses with foods because he maintained his relationship with God. He didn't walk away from God when it hurt. He didn't give up on God when he was in jail. He stayed strong, stayed true, and God said, you got to collect all this food. you got to be ready. A famine's coming. And he does. And, and he saves thousands of lives that, that would have been perished had he not been putting food away. But he only gets there because prison he only gets that position of power because he was sold into slavery. The only way that thousands of lives get saved is because Joseph has to go through some hard stuff, but God wasn't done with him. God was not done with him. My favorite part, though, is when his brothers show up one day. They don't know that Joseph is there. They probably think Joseph is dead, haven't seen him in years. The last time they saw him, he was driving away in the back of a slave-driven caravan. And they show up and they go to this man's office who happens to be their brother. And they need food because there is a famine and they're going to die without it. And it's one of the most powerful, memorable stories in scripture. And, and they don't even recognize Joseph. And, and kind of Joseph strings it on maybe a little bit too long. But eventually he comes around to a spot where he, he reintroduces himself to his brothers, and he says, guys, it's me, your brother, Joseph, and they lose their minds. I mean, they, they weep and cry. They're terrified that Joseph is going to kill them. He's a man with power. He could absolutely do it. They beg forgiveness. They apologize. They beat themselves up. It's, it's quite a scene, but I love Joseph's response. This is Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Get this line right here. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You intended to harm me. God used it for good. You thought this was going to happen, but God said this was going to happen. You thought it was going to be a life of pain and suffering and misery and defeat, but God said it was going to be a season of life and rebirth and hope and salvation. He's a God of redemption. Listen, you only believe that 
if you believe that God can redeem all things. You only get to look back on your life and say, God intended it for good if you believe that even through prison and slavery and accusations that God really is a God who redeems. Because if you don't believe that, what hope do you have when life is the hardest? I mean, if you don't believe that God can actually turn it around and use it for your favor, what are you holding on to? See, that's all Joseph had in prison. And God showed up and he turned it around. Joseph says, he brought me to this position. I'm only here because God turned it around. Thousands of lives got saved because God turned it around. So be encouraged today if you feel like what the enemy, he's just throwing everything at you and he's intending to harm you. If you're feeling like people are throwing stuff at you and they're intending to harm you, whatever is intended to harm you right now, God is intending to use it all for good. He is working it out even now in your life in this moment. He's quite intent. He's quite good at it. And remember, too, that Joseph's redemption wasn't even just for him. It was for thousands of other people. That story wasn't just a story for Joseph to be able to say to his brothers one day, Ha! Look at me, you little jerks! Look what happened to me! Look what happened in my life! This is not at all what it was for. It was to save the lives of thousands of people. So what if your redemption story isn't even just for you, but it's going to be a story that God is using to help change the lives of people beyond you, the people you don't even know, people you might not even meet. It's a ripple redemption. And it's just going on and on and on and on. That might be your story. Don't be discouraged in your difficult season thinking, this is it for me. And, and, and even when it turns around thinking, well, that was nice, God, but what now? He, he's just going to use it. How many times has people's story of pain and trial gone on to help other people heal? Help other people be encouraged? Help other people take a next step? That's why we show these videos. The Bible talks about how it's the blood of the lamb and the power of the testimony. I mean, there's something incredible when someone stands up and says, this was my life, but this is what God did with it. I lost my dad, but look what God's doing in me now. I was sent to the hospital because I didn't want to live anymore, but look where I am now. He is a God of redemption. He is a God who is working it out for you and for who else knows who that might be impacted by your story. It's the story for so many people in the Bible. You think about Esther. I mean, Esther was, was a girl in the New Testament, lost both of her parents, grew up an orphan. She was taken far from home, grew up in a different nation. She didn't really know what was going on. And she, just a really bizarre story where she grows up, she gets chucked into a beauty pageant, wins a prize, becomes the queen. Like, it's really crazy. And yet, because of that, she's put into a position where she actually ends up saving all of God's people from destruction. And before she makes that decision, before she kind of steps out and does something bold and crazy, her cousin Mordecai famously asks her this question, who knows if you were made queen, perhaps for just such a time as this? What if all of the crazy things in your life were actually intended to lead you to this moment right now? What if the pain you endured, what if the loss you had to go through, what if the grief that you had to live through, what if God was using all of those things to put you here today so that you could save the lives of thousands of people? That's what he does. There's another girl in the Old Testament named Rahab. And she was a prostitute. 
That is not what any little girl wants to be when she grows up. It's a hard life. And she was heartbroken and it was difficult. And she was in Jericho and it was not God's country. And yet she makes a decision that could have cost her her life. And she helps God's people kind of break into the promised land. And she gives them victory. And, and they actually end up saving her for what she did in that story. Rahab, the prostitute, is listed in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame for faith. I mean, you talk about redemption when God can use someone like that and years later say, look what she did for my people. Look how I used her. Look how I turned her story around. Look, look how I changed her life. I mean, all of that really leads us to the greatest story of redemption of all kind, which is when Jesus traded his own life so that we could have salvation, so that we could have forgiveness and grace and peace and eternity in heaven. I mean, the enemy thought he had won. The enemy thought it was over. He's dead. He's in a tomb. This is the best. And yet what the enemy intended for evil, God turned around and used it for good, our good. So now that we can have hope through Jesus Christ, I mean, our entire lives were redeemed. Where were we going without him? And yet he's redeemed us, transformed us, made us new again. It's an oxymoron, but it's what redemption is. New again. And he's restoring us. He takes our bad decisions. He takes our mistakes. He takes our regrets. He takes our pain. And he says, watch me turn this into a life that is beautiful and incredible and has eternal significance. That's what Jesus can do for you. He's constantly in the act of restoration of sanding us down and restaining us and, and building something beautiful out of what we thought was, you know, my life belongs in the dump. Jesus says, no, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I mean, that's, that's the picture of baptisms today. Someone who said, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was dirty, but now I'm clean. I was old, but now I'm new. That's a picture of redemption. It is a beauty from ashes. And that is something that only Jesus Christ can do. He is a God who redeems. He's a God who's working it out for all of us. I know some of you are here today and you'd be able to testify that that is your story. My God has redeemed my life and turned it around. I hope today has been a great reminder. I hope that you choose to praise him for that. I hope you understand that God is still doing that. But maybe you're here today and you are in the middle of the fire right now. And everything that you are holding on to is going up in flames. It is a season of pain. Your hopes, your dreams, the path that you are on, the future that you had in mind, all these things that you thought were going to, you're left with ashes in your hand. Maybe that's your current reality right now. And we, what we, what we want to do for you today is to pray for you. We want to help you. I want to encourage you, if that's you in this moment, to not walk away from God, as tempting as it might be. How, I mean, how tempting would it have been for Joseph time after time after time, and yet he still stays strong in his faith, and God works it out for him. Don't walk away from God. We want to pray for strength for you, and grace for you, and peace for you, and protection over you, perseverance for you that he can get you through whatever it is you're going through and you'll see on the other end how he's using it in your favor, how he's working it out for you. And so I want to pray for you today. If that's you, 
and you are in a season that hurts, it is confusing, maybe, maybe you're thinking of someone else and you want to pray for them today, that's what we're going to do. And so I'm just going to invite you right now. Um, I'm just going to see if there's, raise your hand and just say, that's me or that's someone I know right now that needs that move of God. They need that reminder of redemption. They need that strength, that peace, that hope. Amen. Amen. So I want to pray for us today. And maybe, maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you've never made a decision to follow him and you're thinking, I sure would like the assurance that God is going to work this out for me right now because I, I get, don't have a lot of stock in Mother Nature or fortune cookies. So if you know there's a better way, then I want to be in on that and Jesus Christ is your answer. And he will give you salvation and hope, heaven and eternity. And maybe you want to make that decision today. And if that's you today, uh, as we pray, I'm just going to say a prayer that you can repeat after me silently in your head. And you can know him today and follow him. Let's, let's all pray together, church. Jesus, we are unbelievably grateful that you are a God who redeems. And you've done it for so many of us. I mean, you did it for the entire earth. It's just a matter of us being willing to accept that. And so, Father, I just pray for the people in this room that raised their hand. God, I pray right now that just a huge wave of peace would come over them, that you would give them divine supernatural strength to endure the season that they're in, that, that you would give them hope that says it's going to get better, that you would give them peace that says this doesn't even make sense, but I have it right now, that you would speak encouraging words into their life so they know that you are with them, that they would sense your presence in a powerful, tangible way like maybe they never have been before. But God, I pray for their perseverance and their endurance through this time, that they would know and believe and be assured that you will bring beauty out of these ashes. It is a promise. We know that you are working it out, all things. And so God, carry them through change them. The people that they raised their hands for, maybe the people that they are representing God, just Holy Spirit move in their lives. Give them an answer. Give them hope. Give them a light at the end of the tunnel, whatever they need. We pray that over them, Jesus. And maybe there's people here today that don't know you and they want to make a decision to follow you today. The greatest decision that anyone could ever make that the greatest exchange of redemption in the world. And God, if that's them today, I just pray that they would repeat this prayer and say, Jesus Christ, I invite you to come into my life. Take my sin, my mistakes, and my regrets and wash them away and make me a new creation. And I believe that I am saved that I am a temple for God now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's good, isn't he? He's good. He is worthy to be praised. If you did pray that prayer tonight, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can track us down after church. There will be people at that table or myself or whoever. You can check it off on a hello card. But before we are done, we have one more song for you. It is a powerful song. And uh, what a great opportunity for you to respond by singing and declaring that we are grateful for a God of redemption. Amen.